Good evening, friends, and uh, welcome to another uh, lesson in our series of In God We Trust, as Michael Ray and I uh, contend to try to walk through this new study where we look at biblical principles of uh, stewardship and look at biblical principles concerning our money and our possessions. Uh, thank you for those of you who tuned in to lesson one. Um, and we appreciate your feedback for that. Uh, and we look forward to getting into lesson two. Michael, how's, how's everything in beautiful Somerset tonight? Everything is lovely. My understanding is now in delicious podcast form. In addition to the regular video, we're just giving the people what they want. Yeah, we fold around and got halfway fancy. Um, so, and for for those of you still holding on out there, I'm, I've submitted the podcast to iTunes and I'm currently waiting on reviews. So hopefully that'll be up in iTunes uh, here shortly. And we'll share that information out, um, how you can find it in iTunes as well. I mean, um, I know it was a long study, but how long is it going to take them to review it? Uh, it depends on who's listening, I guess. <laughs> how many people are in Cupertino tonight that are working on this? Um, they may have, hey, listen, I'd say the quarantine has got all kinds of goofy people like you and me deciding they should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, again, thank you all for, for being with us uh, tonight. We're going to get into really our, our first lesson of understanding, uh, really the concept of stewardship and the concept of ownership, uh, who owns what and, and how should then we react uh, based on that. So we've got some verses we're going to try to look at together tonight um, to start off as we, um, you know, kind of make our way through this and, and build a case for, you know, who truly has ownership of, of the goods of the land of the possessions. So we'll start here in Exodus chapter nine. In Exodus nine, Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I lift my hands out of the Lord, the thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you will know the earth is the Lord. So, you know, again, the point here in Exodus 9 is we need to understand who all this stuff belongs to, right? So who, if the earth and all of that will cease, the, the weather even belongs uh, to God. Uh, Exodus 19 and 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So again, Two things there in Exodus 19 is not only will they be his possession, right? They are God's chosen people, but he's saying the earth is his so he can move them into wherever he wants. And remember, what is Exodus? It's the Exodus out of Egypt, their trek toward the promised land. And as he's guiding them toward this promised land, they can have confidence because it's his, right? God has the right to give it to them. Michael, you want to take these next couple? Yeah, so you know, it's a pretty fundamental point that we're that we're talking about is that the the ownership of all things is God's, and you know that is a you know a lot of ways that's a that's an elementary level uh, idea. But it's got some really profound implications. So you know a lot of these verses just kind of laying that foundation. You know the, the verses you know the earth is mine, as we'll read in Psalm fifty, all the all the cattle, all the possessions, everything it all belongs to God. You know Psalm fifty somewhat familiar passage, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, the birds, all that moves in the field is mine. The world is mine and the fullness are mine. And, and, and mine is a, uh, you know, that, that's a word that seeps into our vocabulary really easily that we, we, we begin to hoard all of our possessions and all think about them all as mine, uh, that we have ownership. 
but, but these verses kind of tell a different story. I, I've been particularly intrigued in this study in Leviticus 25, and, and we've talked a little bit about this. So I'd maybe, maybe think a moment about this verse, you know, as, as God was, was giving the children of Israel the, um, the laws there in the, in the desert. This, this one was in, in particular interesting as, as related to the promised land that they were going to be given. Uh, he told them that the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. Um, and, and, and I think that's one to talk about, not, not for the point that, you know, we can't have real estate transactions today. Um, but, but what was God trying to impress upon his people, um, as they were going into the promised land that they, and ultimately we know they did, they kind of fell in love with the dirt, right? And they, and they, they, they turned it into mine instead of, instead of into God's. But, but God's idea was always that they had a, had a complete understanding that it was God's and they were tenant farmers and, you know, they could have some transactions among themselves for, for so many years, but in that Jubilee year, and that's what Leviticus 25 is really about in that Jubilee year, the, the, the possession would revert back to its original owner because that's who God put in place there. And God was the, was the ultimate owner of record and he was going to put in place who he wanted. So anyway, I just, I think that's a fascinating insight into how God, thought about ownership of the promised land. And I don't want to get too in the weeds and background stuff, but if you, for those of you listening along that are not, you know, wholly familiar or it's been a long time since you've read through um, your old Testament and, and how it worked going to the promised land. So, you know, Israel was in Egypt and they were in captivity. Right. And, and I think most will remember about how Moses went up against Pharaoh and there was the 10 plagues and he led them out of Egypt. And as they went to approach the promised land, what well, it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. It was a perfect, pristine land there in the midst of the fertile crescent. It was perfect for fields, for growing, for uh, having cattle. I mean, it was, it was the pristine land that was there and God was giving this to them. They, they, he was, they were his promised people based on the promises to Abraham. They were going to get this land. Well, it's also, he reminds them along this, this trek that they will drink from wells. They did not dig. They will live in houses that they did not build that all that's being gifted to them is at God's hand. And, and that's very important for them to remember as they go into this promised land that, that God is providing all of this for them. And they have no right to um, think of possession for themselves because they're doing this on, on God's hand alone, but also that they should be appreciative, right? And that's, that's probably problem number one. If, if I'm going back to the nation of Israel and I'm listing their problems. Problem number one is they did not appreciate anything that God did for them because they quickly would go and, you know, play the whore with other gods. So that they were quickly to get away from that. But I think it's, it's, it's interesting to think about how as they went into the land that, that part of this Levitical law here is that, you know, they were to, it wasn't theirs even in their barter system, even in their buying and selling, that, that based on the 12 tribes, right? All the land was partitioned off, that every tribe had land and every family had land. And that's why the genealogies were important and were significant because that designated what land that you have. And especially in an agricultural-based society, 
land was a livelihood. Land was money. Land was significant. And if you didn't have any land, then you couldn't prosper. You couldn't live. You couldn't do anything. Um, you know, some of you may remember the story of Ruth, right? Ruth and Naomi, as they come back to the nation of Israel after they had been off in the, you know, foreign God land, right? They come back and it was important that the land of Ruth's husband was redeemed, that, that she was able to get that and Boaz redeems that for her. And, and it becomes part of, um, you know, the land that they possess all the way down into the lineage of Christ. But knowing those stories, I think, helps us better understand that they didn't do anything to get this land. They didn't deserve the land. They didn't earn the land. This land, by all intents and, and, and points, is grace, right, Michael? I mean, it's, it's what this, them having the land is the epitome of grace. And I think that's, that, that speaks to the, to the larger point um, that I think, I think what God was trying to get across. And, and, you know, I think the point is the same, even if, even if some of the, the details in Leviticus, obviously the laws have changed, is that, you know, ultimate ownership is God's. And, you know, our, our really complex system of, of deeds and uh, legal documents is, is really impressive, but ultimately it's secondary. Uh, because because ultimate ownership is God's, and and when we when we lose sight of that, we really, uh, as we'll talk about in a, in a little bit, as we lead into this part, when we lose sight of that, we we completely lose sight of what our responsibility is toward those possessions, um, because they become ours and and not His. You know, if you if you want to on that on that same topic, if you want a really deep cut, uh, you, you go to the, the last chapter of the book of Numbers and the daughters of Zelophehad. Um, you know, they they had this this issue about. Um, to your point in an agriculture agrarian society, when, when a man only had daughters, how was he going to retain his, how are we going to retain his land? And, and the point there is ultimately the same is that, Hey, hey guys, and Moses kind of comes to this conclusion and gives us the land. said, this, this, this land is God's. What, what transactions we make among, among ourselves are secondary to the ultimate ownership. And, and we're going to revert this back to what the, the ownership that, that God wants. Uh, we're, we're playing, we're playing monopoly or we're playing risk or whatever, whatever here, but, but the, the owner of the game board is going to decide. Um, and, and so uh, anyway, that, that all goes to that, that point that, that you're making is that the, the things that we have are, are given by the grace of God for our use for, for whatever period of time that we have it. Um, and, and I think this, this idea in Leviticus is even more significant because when we would, when we would use the phrase that God gave the land to the children of Israel, you know, we would use that as a gave, um, and to, to the, you know, intent that that was, that was a final signing over of a deed, right? That, that, it, that he handed over full possession of the land and it was theirs to do with as they choose in perpetuity. And not only this verse, but we know in history that that wasn't the case. That and, and this last verse on our slide here would would uh, help with that conclusion is that that this giving was a giving of possession, not a giving of ownership. And so, and I think that's a significant difference. That God does give us possession of things. That doesn't mean that we have ultimate ownership. And He says that in, in here in Jeremiah twenty five, and you can read those verses that that He says that even Nebuchadnezzar, who as we know was a pagan, uh, you know godless king as he came into power he calls him my servant and i have given him the beast of the field and given and have given him these lands and all nations will serve him until the time of his own land comes and then they'll make him their slave so all these things again 
God may give possession, but he makes it clear that he never transfers full ownership in the ultimate sense here. He's still going to move the pieces uh, around the game board as he chooses. Yeah, and, and maybe the word that we are more familiar with and more comfortable with is lease. You know, we lease these from God. Essentially, that's what the Israelites were doing. They were leasing these lands from God. Now, their lease payments were their, uh, you know, obedience to God. They're following God. They're, remember, the contract was it wasn't financial. It was spiritual. I will be your God if you will be my people. And as long as they were his people, then he continued to give them. They were allowed to stay on the land. But as Jeremiah points out very clearly, when you stopped holding up your end of the bargain, I'm going to take my land and give it to Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm going to take my cattle and give it to Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, his time is temporary too, because, you know, uh, all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. And then I'm going to give it to somebody else. You know, God was already, you know, seven steps down the chessboard ahead as he's explaining these things through Jeremiah that this stuff's already foreordained. But the important part here that, that I think is so significant is it's God's right to do with it as he pleases. Yes. And it reminds me, you know, sometimes if you're, when you're one of your children come to you and say, you know, well, I, I think that I should be able to do this because this is my room. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Settle, down, settle down here, buddy. Uh, let's, let's remember uh, that, that you possess that room. You do not own it. And, and as, as my wife has made clear to my son on occasion, when he has lost the privilege of his room for various and sundry reasons and got uh, exiled to other areas of the house where he had to live for a time, that, that room that you have uh, by, by our benevolence, <laughs> so you you can have you have possession of that room um, as long as as we're we we got us a little social contract here that we're all going to play by the rules. But the ownership of this house, and first remember, ultimately is God. But on on a more temporal level, is is me and your mother, and so we still get to make the decisions. And 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 I think that when when we uh, act as if, or when the children of Israel act as if they had ultimate ownership um, of that land to do with whatever they want, that God felt very much the same way. I said, settle down, settle down, boys. Uh, you are here by my benevolence. And uh, when you don't clean your room, you may be exiled elsewhere. Correct. Or you uh, sneak somebody in in the middle of the night where they shouldn't be. <laughs> Listen, I'm not ready for that. I wasn't pointing that in your house. I meant the false gods that they were sneaking in. Well, it was too close to home. Let's move on. <laughs> that's, that's not not good there. Uh, Ezekiel 16, uh, again, the, multiple of these are, are making the same point, but they're there for emphasis, right? You know, you also took your beautiful uh, jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you for yourself and made for yourselves images of men and then played the whore. You know, it, God, when Ezekiel is here, remember as Ezekiel starts, Ezekiel's in Babylonian captivity, right? And as he's talking to the people, you know, as the beginning of Ezekiel uh, starts, they're by the river Kabar there, and they're weeping as they sing the songs of Jerusalem. And Ezekiel, as he's teaching the people, part of the teaching is that, why are you here? Why are we here? You all are crying about missing Jerusalem, but you didn't appreciate it when we had it. 
And let's talk about what you did. You took the things of God and you crafted these images. You snuck these dirty women in the middle of the night into God's house and you played the whore. You profaned what was God's with God's own stuff. Like that's, you know, that's the ultimate. I think of that, that act of betrayal um, that, that some couples have gone through where not only did you commit adultery, but you committed adultery in your house and even in your marriage bed, right? Like it'd be almost impossible to get over that, that not only did you do this, but you did it in our house that we built together in our bed where we slept together. So th- there's that type of level of betrayal of the intimacy because they use the things of God against God. Uh, Haggai chapter two, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Um, Luke chapter 14, this is Jesus, you know, talking about there's therefore, so if you cannot renounce all that you have, if you can't give it all up, then you can't be my disciple. Um, we talked about that a little bit with the rich young ruler, uh, last week. And so that, that, that again, is this point that we have to not think about the things. Now, Jesus is not telling all of us that we've got to go take a vow of poverty right? But he's saying if we, if we don't have the ability to see those possessions, those blessings as rubbish, then we can't be. And remember what a disciple is. A disciple is a student, is a learner of Christ. That We can't get to step one. We can't start to learn about Jesus unless we're ready to deny that. And then yeah, in there, Psalm 24. Just, uh, just a moment on that word renounce. You know, that, that is a, that's a, it's a pretty interesting comment that Jesus makes there that, 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 if you don't renounce, if you're not, if you're not willing to uh, remove owner, you know, or, or disclaim ownership of these things, um, then you can't be my disciple. And, and to your point, I don't think that necessarily means that, that we have to liquidate them. And, and, you know, he asked the rich young ruler, obviously to liquidate and give his money to the poor. But in this case, I'm not sure that we're talking about liquidation and, and hand them off to, to some charity but just the, the in, in a lot of ways, the renouncing is an understanding that where the ultimate ownership is, that the renouncing is, is a intellectual assignment that says, hey, to your point, these things are on loan from God, um, that, that I am um, an overseer of these things. And I know you're going to talk more about that concept, but that I'm an overseer of these things for a brief time. And so, you know, we want to think about the extreme of renouncing, you know, give it all away. And, and perhaps we, we need to be prepared for that mentally. But I think more practically, this, this verse just means that we need to intellectually renounce this idea of mine. Um, that, that intellectually, we understand that, that we are users of things um, and, and God expects return on his investment. Uh, and so we'll, we'll certainly get to that to that idea. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a good point there. That um, we we've talked about this. If you were along for the Philippians ride, um, you know this idea of of missing some of these words. And and, you, and Michael's exactly right that the idea of renounce that's an important word. You know that that's significant of um, you know how we view and how we look at things. Uh, and, and and it's not just possessions, though, right? You know, part of coming to Jesus, part of coming to God, is what we have to also renounce the old man. I, we got we to get rid of that man of sin, the man of death, the one that only benefits himself to be God's, to be with Jesus. That's part of that repentance. And included in that, I believe, is, is, is our, our view toward our, our possessions as well. Not only is that old man of sin got to go away, but, but everything that he owns, you know, in, in a sense. Yes. Um, 
Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So the language here, Psalm 24, is important too. So why is it God's ownership? You know, Michael, why does the land and the rivers and the seas, why does all of that belong to God? Well, yeah, that's, that's, elementary question right i mean it, who's who's the who's the creator who's the, so the the creator is the possessor um and so you know that 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 part certainly makes sense if you if you have a if you have belief in a, a divine creation then you then you certainly understand the idea of divine ownership and that's right if we believe genesis 1 1 right in the beginning god and and everything that came after that was god's creation speaking into existence just as if you know i'd you know, Emma, let's say I'm a competent artist and we, we've already disclosed in our last lesson that Michael and I have the accounting side of the brain, both of us. So I'm not painting anything. There's no fear of that. But let's say that I paint a masterpiece, a Picasso, a Rembrandt. I, I have, you know, just this masterful piece. Of, it's mine, right? I, I would then either give or sell or loan that to somebody else. And, and oftentimes with these museums that, that the real own, they, they may, these paintings may be on display at a museum, but they're on loan from somebody, whoever either the creator or the owner was at the time have loaned them to the museum so that we can get the visual benefit of them. We can go and look at it and admire it, but who the real owner is, is, is the creator uh, of that. That's the true ownership. If Rembrandt, if Picasso were alive, all of their paintings are owned by them. Um, and, and I think we have to understand that in the concept of if God is the creator, if he made it, it's his. And therefore, we should follow the rules that, that are guiding, that are those guiding principles. So, so that leads me to one of my favorite uh, examples of the way that we treat possessions on earth is we treat it. Uh, I, heard, I heard this example one time that stuck with me because I think it's so poignant as we, we're in a museum and we, we're walking around with some of the art and we're just walking around the museum holding the art. And it's, somebody says, well, is, is that your art? Do you own that? No, I don't, I don't own this. I'm just walking around with it. Well, why do you walk around with this art? So, well, I like the way that people treat me when I, when I hold this art. So, well, what do you got to do when you got to leave? I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about leaving. I don't care about leaving. I'm just, I just like the way that people treat me when I walk around with this art. And, and, and that's, that's the way we, we are at times of life with God's possessions. We, we like the way that people treat us because we have some of God's possessions. And we don't really think about or care about what we got to do. We got to leave, leave the earth. We don't think about what we got to do. We got to leave the museum. We just kind of like the way that people treat us when we're, when we're holding the art. And it's no more ours than, than the guy that's, the, these possessions are no more ours than the guy that's holding the art and walking around the museum we just like the way it feels to have it and the way that people treat us and, and don't give a moment's thought to what has, who, who really owns it or what's going to happen when we have to put it back. Um, and, and so anyway, I just, I think that's a, 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 that's an example that has stuck with me. No. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's a powerful story. And, and the only, you know, piece I'd add to that is, you know, we also like how it makes us feel right. You know, we like sure. how, how others view it, but you know, when I'm holding this, I feel good. I feel safe. I feel whatever. But at the end of the day, to your point, there's a point when the museum closes, right? You got to set that down. And maybe the guy next to you, maybe your kids, maybe your family pick it up and carry it around for a while. But you don't. You got to set that thing back down and it's time to go home. 
um, which 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 is is strong here. So walk walk us through First Corinthians. What, what what's uh, what's the Apostle Paul writing here to the church at Corinth? Yeah, so we're we're in, those are familiar with First Corinthians ten. You know, we're we're in this kind of conversation about Paul trying to help the Corinthians through how how they should treat or how they should view you know meat that's been sacrificed to idols and and it might be sold in in, in the marketplace. And and we could spend a whole lesson on that. You can go down a a pretty lengthy um, conversation about that, but. In context here, verse 25, he's telling these brethren, eat what's sold in the marketplace without raising any questions. Um, so, so don't bother your conscience with, with, um, with those issues because, verse 26, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This food that you buy in the marketplace is God's. He didn't transfer possession of that food to this idol. You know, the, the, idol, the idol is, is, is just uh, as you are was just a possessor of this thing for a limited time, whatever it was. If it was meat in the marketplace or it was money, whatever, the idol was a possessor of that. The idol did not have ownership of that. This is God's stuff. And so wherever it came from, this is God's stuff, and it can be eaten with Thanksgiving. And so I think that gives us some insight into how God views this possession, is that whoever held it in the interim, whatever, it's God's. Um, and, and, and so this we only use this idea not to talk about the idea of, you know, uh, whether idol uh, worship or sacrifice, not to, to set that all to aside for a minute. And just to say that the ultimate point is these Corinth, these Corinthians could eat this with Thanksgiving because it's God's that the, the, the ownership of this was never transferred anywhere else. Ultimately, whoever owned the cow or owned the meat or, or sack or uh, slaughtered the animal, it's God's. The stuff is God's. And so if we, if we get it in a lawful way, we can eat it with Thanksgiving. Right. And, and, and that, that's, that's, again, the key to everything we're talking about here, right, is that the ownership is always God's. And what someone else does with a possession doesn't negate the, the fact that it still belongs to God, right? Because somebody else does something foolish with it, you know, it's, I, again, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but, you know, let's say that, you know, uh, a drunk drives a car and, you know, runs people over with it, right? And I buy that car at auction. Like, is that car now tainted because the drunk used it for that purpose? No, like the, the car, ultimately, the vehicle itself now is, is under my possession, but in a bigger picture, it's God's. And as long as I use it for good and don't use it for evil, it, it's to benefit me. So, you know, we can't always go back to the owner. Well, oh, this person used it for bad. So therefore it's cursed. Like, you know, we got a cursed vehicle or a cursed, you know, knife or a cursed whatever. It, you know, it, it's foolishness. All things belong to God and can be used lawfully to glorify God. And I think that's the other point that we often miss here is that eat it with thanksgiving to God. Use whatever possessions come into your hand to glorify God, even if somebody else intended them for bad, right? Even if somebody else sacrificed this animal to please a piece of wood or a stick or something that that's not real, you can take that and use it to glorify God in a good way. I think there's, I think there's, no, I think there's some real interesting possible implications there. Uh, you know, and, and I'd be curious to get your take on this as I just think through this and we, we haven't really talked about this, but you know, I think there's implications on this for, for a, a business person. Um, if, if you're engaged in a, in a lawful transaction, 
you know, it is, it, it, does the business person is expected to, are they expected to do a background check on everybody that comes into their establishment, right? Well, I don't, I don't know where that, that, that money came from, or I don't know, again, not that, not that we're going to do anything illicit or illegal intentionally, certainly, but, but again, if, if the transaction is legal and the blessing is from, is, is from God, uh, you know, Paul would tell the Corinthians, like, you don't have to do a background check to make sure that that person's not an idol worshiper that, that got that money that came in and bought bread at your store, right? Um, that, that the blessing is, the blessing is still from God in that, in that regard. And so I, I do think there's, there's some interesting implications of that, that if we understand that the stuff is God's, the stuff is God's and whoever held it, the stuff is God's. Um, I, I just think that's an interesting uh, perspective uh, as, as it relates to, to, to modern business. Right. And, and, and I think that's, that's the other idea that because it belongs to God, it can at any time be redeemed. Right. You know, even if it was on the bad path, you know, so again, I, I don't want to get too far down this, but I do think it's important here, but let's say that, you know, a $20 bill that came out of the U S mint, a brand new $20 bill, that $20 bill gets paid out to Bob for working lawfully at the factory. Well, Bob takes that $20 and gives it to the local drug dealer for drugs, right? So now it's gone from a good intent purpose and that $20 bill now goes to the drug dealer. Well, the drug dealer then comes into your store and buys a loaf of bread or a cake. Like, is the 20 cursed? Like, can we not accept the 20 because we know that if we run it back, it somehow got astray? Or now that it's back into a lawful stream of business, I can take that same $20 bill and put it in the collection plate on Sunday? Or is that thing tarnished because Bob bought drugs with it? You know, if we think about how our currency cycles, the money that's in your wallet right now, assuming anybody's carrying paper money these days, right? But the money, the dollar bills that are in your wallet could have been a million different places before it got to you and could be a million different more before it makes it into the treasury or into the hands of an evangelist and spreading the gospel in another country, right? those things can be anywhere. And at any time, any of those possessions, any of those dollars, any of those things can be redeemed and used for good again, even if they were an evil purpose at one point. Yeah. And, and, you know, Paul's point here without raising questions, if we, if we, if we, if we received it in a, in a lawful transaction for, and, and ultimately we realize it's God's use it to God's glory. Again, I, I think there are so many, meaningful real life business applications in some of these, uh, or, or, you know, financial implications in some of these verses, um, that, uh, if you spend a little time and meditate on. Right. And, and I think that that's uh, the concept here though, that, you know, it, if we haven't been playing enough so far, um, as we, we kind of move to the next point is everything under the sun belongs to God. It's his, we may be users of it. We may be lessers of it. We may be in possession of it from time to time, but the ownership never leaves God. God is still always the owner and in control. So that brings up then this idea. If all things belong to God and ultimately if they're his and I am the servant working on the farm or working in the vineyard or whatever, and I am using these possessions that ultimately belong to my master. How's that work? And there's a financial term for this, 
and I'll let the, uh, the CPA lead us through the uh, financial terminology here. I think you're a legal fiduciary. I'm just a mere bean counter. So I, I should probably, uh, I should probably allow you to walk through this, but, but if perhaps, you know, those that are listening are familiar with this concept that, that, that they're a fiduciary or they're a, they're a trustee, um, that, that idea, somebody to, to, that has the power over property and you can see the definition there, um, but that it belongs to somebody else. Um, so again, we're not the, not the legal owner, um, but we have some power over the property. We've been given some limited authority over some property for a period of time. Um, and very often you see this idea if, if someone um, has some money that they're trying to set aside for a minor, right? That, that it's somebody has control over that property for the benefit of the minor uh, until they're of age, right? And so again, you never own it. And, and the things that you actually do with the money is not for your benefit, it's for somebody else's, but for a limited period of time, you do have power over that, that uh, property, those assets, that cash or whatever it is, you got power over it as long as you stay within the bounds of whatever, uh, whatever authority you've been given. So, so what is that basic tenant? Um, the, the other words we use are power of attorney, uh, trustee, executor, administrator. But, but Michael, when we talk about a fiduciary, what is the you know, singular oath or whatever that you must abide by if you are entrusted with another's possessions? Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the kind of the heart of fiduciary, right? Is that it's always for the benefit of the owner. Um, so that, that's the, and, and I, I hope that, I hope that's what you <laughs> wanted to, wanted me to end up at. I, and I, I think that um, that is the, that is the key intent of, of, of that idea um, that it's for the benefit of the owner. And so in, in a lot of these, you know, complex financial uh, shenanigans that you're in, right. That you, you have to sign off on being uh, a fiduciary for somebody else in, in, in meaning that you are not going to do anything to, to your own benefit, right. That, that everything is done with the, the sole focus of the benefit of the owner because it's, it's their assets. And, and again, the, the fiduciary, the trustee may have some limited power for a limited time, but ultimately the benefit is expected is, is legally obligated to be for the benefit of the owner. Yeah. That, that's so we we've often heard about um, the Hippocratic oath, right? that all doctors take that you do no harm. That's the doctor's number one. If you're a medical doctor, your oath is to initially to do no harm. Well, a fiduciary's oath is to benefit whoever you have these powers for. So if I'm, you know, Michael used the example of for the minor. So, you know, if I'm taking care of a minor and let's say they're, you know, this minor's parents have passed away and that they've been left some property some money to be able to fulfill these wishes that of what they want. Well, if I'm responsible for the property, for the money, it has to be based on the owner's wishes and their benefits, right? I can't take that property and do whatever I want to do with it. You know, I, I can't say, well, Hey, you know, I really like to have a pool out back. So I'm going to spend this money and create a pool. It has to be to the benefit of the owner or the beneficiary, right? 
um, in, some, in some of these cases, that the owner is setting this up for a beneficiary. But that's who has to have the benefit of it. So when we are acting in a fiduciary capacity, and, and, and I'm trying to bring us around to, if all the possessions are God's, if I'm God's fiduciary, if I'm God's power of attorney, then how I act with these possessions must benefit God. Now, I can receive a secondary benefit. So in all of these fiduciary arrangements, there is usually compensation for whoever the trustee is. They get, you know, if you're taking care of the car for, for somebody, you can drive that car. But ultimately, you're taking care of that for the owner. And you're to take care of it, keep the oil changed and car cleaned. And whenever the owner wants it or needs you to do run an errand for them, you use that to accomplish that goal. So when we think about that, and, and if all my possessions really aren't mine, it's, it's God's and I'm just using God's possessions, how then should that change my worldview and my outlook? You know, if this is really God's car that I'm driving, if this is really God's house that I'm living in, if this is really God's money that's in my, four, or in my uh, checking and savings account or even my 401k, how does that change how I make decisions? Yeah, so I, th I think it fundamentally changes it. And it's, you know, again, this very simple concept that, that God owns everything turns into this really, really profound idea that what is the return on God's investment? And, and I hope, I, I, don't, I don't mean to take, take you beyond where you wanted to go tonight, but that, at least that's where, it, that's where it takes me is that, you know, we, if, if we have assets, and, and I'll, I'll just use you as an example because you do have a fiduciary role here. If I have assets and I want to invest them with you and, and, and we set up an account for me and, and you're the fiduciary of that account and you manage that money for me, I have an expectation that there's going to be return, right? That, that, that's your, that, is, that is your responsibility. I have an expectation that there's going to be a return on those, on those assets. If, if we step back and put this in, in God's perspective, God has, again, because it all belongs to him, whoever owned it before, whatever happened, these things have been granted to us for a time. And God has an expectation of return on his assets. I think that that is both a uh, tremendous, uh, first, first of all, tremendous feeling of gratitude because it's all God's and we've been, he has, he has entrusted us with this. He's entrusted us with this fiduciary responsibility with his stuff. For, and, and for those of us who've been blessed with some possessions that, that to, to, to grasp the concept of the trust that God has put in us, that, that, that should have some, some real gratitude. But secondly, it, it should, we should have some real responsibility. It, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a daunting thought that God expects return on our use of this asset. And, and, and clearly we're not, we're not talking about um, some kind of financial, uh, you know, how many, how many basis points of return are we talking about on this investment? If God is going to have return on his investment, he's, he's going to have spiritual return, right? He's going to have, we're going to have kingdom return on his investment. And, and that, that should, that should make us reconsider what we're doing with all of our possessions. What is, what is God's return? Um, and, and, how is God benefiting from the fact that I have been given this vehicle? How is God benefiting from the fact that I've been given this house? How is God benefiting from the fact that I have a retirement plan? And, and if the answer is that he's not, then, then we got some serious soul searching to do 
about what is our stewardship of his asset. Right. And, and I think that that's, that's, that's the accounting, right. That comes. So in this fiduciary relationship, and as Michael said, that this is part of what I do for a living. So in this fiduciary relationship, there's, there's two very important points that I think have spiritual application. There's one, the initial contract of engagement, right? Where you set up those bounds. And that is when we become a Christian, when we become a child of God, that remember what we read just a little bit ago in Luke, we're renouncing those possessions. I don't own anything. I am yours. God, I am all yours all the time for the benefit of the kingdom. That's what, how this relationship is established, right? When I become yours, then everything I am, even though you owned it before, I never acknowledged that, right? I'm, my coming to you is a, an acknowledgement that I am yours and everything that I have is yours, was yours before we got here. So that's, that's important is that in our initial engagement with God, we are pledging ourselves, our heart, soul, body, mind, everything we touch belongs to God. So, so that's first and important. Secondly, is that someday there will be a final accounting, right? Just like, you know, currently with what I do, there is a quarterly statement that we send out where you look and say, all right, Mike, you know, here's the bounds of our engagement. Here's how many basis points return we've had for this quarter on a risk adjusted basis. Here's what it means. There will be an accounting from God on judgment day where he says, you know, Mike, I, I gave you these things. I put these into your life. These are my possessions that I let you use. Trusted you with. Yeah. I, I, I just think that that is such a, such a, a profound thought. And, and, you know, that I think it's like a lot of other things. God doesn't spell out for us uh, precisely what the expectation is. You know, it's not quantifiable, but we know there's an expectation, and, and that God has um, in His in His wisdom and His judgment, He knows what that expectation is, and and based on all of us, based on the things that we've been given, that expectation is different. But God knows what it is, and uh, that accounting, uh, and, I, and no question, we're believers in grace, and and uh, um, you know, we. we we know that that grace can make up some deficiencies that I have, but at the same time, there's going to be an accounting. There's an expectation of return and there's going to be an accounting. So, so this is a great opportunity for me to use a nerd word. So uh, one of, in, in grace, so while we absolutely believe in grace and, and, and I want to make sure that's very clear, there's also a standard deviation that we have to be within, right? When this accounting comes, that's where grace comes in is, you know, how many standard deviations we are to be away, but God has some expectations, right? And, and we've got to be within those expectations and, and it's not perfect, right? We're not, you know, God may say, look, Mike, I expected a return of, you know, 800 spiritual basis points, you know, and you came in at 750, but that's okay. You know, you're within the standard deviation allotted here, but it's not okay that I expected a, you know, spiritual return, 800 basis points, and you went and put my assets in the sand, right? Yeah, and yeah, and that's exactly where probably the next lesson um, needs to go is to the parable of the talents, because that hits on exactly this point that we're talking about: is that God had an expectation of spiritual return, 
and there was an accounting. And I don't, we'll talk about this more when we get to this. And this is kind of be a preview, I think, of our, of our next conversation. But what was the, um, the anger that was directed at the one talent servant? Um, was it about his performance or was it about his, his uh, lack of effort um, or his attitude? Um, and so uh, obviously both are related in that accounting, uh, but I think that, I think that leads to a very interesting conversation that that is, that is the parable about the accounting that you are describing. And, and that's, again, I don't want to get ahead of us. That that's our next class. And we're going to talk more in depth about that and, and, you know, hopefully be able to shine the light from these concepts we're introducing tonight to put them in place in the, in the parable of talents. And, and there's a couple other parables we'll look at next week too. Uh, but it's this idea of, you know, you were entrusted. God has given these things into our hands and what did you do with it? Right. That, that that's, that's the, if you leave with nothing else tonight from this class, that's what I want you to, to think about. That's what I want you to meditate on. That's what I want you to pray about is what am I doing with God's possessions? If we can get there, then it's worth your cost of the class, right? If, I can, if we can just get you to that point where you think about what am I doing with, with God's possessions? Am I getting the spiritual return that I should? And have I even considered what that spiritual return should be? You know, if we can get you down that path of asking those questions, then we, we've, we've done our job here. Hopefully from there, we're, we're going to look at some deeper points of this. Um, but, but this is, this is, this I think is life changing. It was to me when I came across this concept several years ago, when, you know, as, as we told you, Michael and I have taught this class, you know, separately, you know, he taught it at Southside. I've taught it in some meetings. But when I, this was very changing to me when I started thinking about the fact that I'm acting on behalf of somebody else. Well, I, I, I'll tell you how, how dumb and uh, human I am is that this is life changing to me every time I remember it. <laughs> so I mean, that may be more accurate is that um, I, I wish, I wish that it was a more permanent and um, change, but uh, I think incrementally, perhaps I'm getting better, but every time you think about this, I, I'm, I'm reminded that I'm not doing as well as I should um, that with, with every possession comes responsibility. And, and I wouldn't, you know, we're, we're talking about um, things that maybe we can put on a balance sheet here about, about financial possessions, but, but also remember that there are non-financial um, uh, things that we are given stewardship of that, that God's respect expects a return on also, you know, that, that those who have, have been blessed with a wife or have been blessed with children or have been blessed with a, a church family, uh, have, you know, or there are, uh, younger people in our in our church family, those are all blessings that God has put in front of us that He has blessed us with that that we maybe have um, in our lives for a short period that we God expects a return from giving us those assets right the assets of good elders the assets of of having children in our lives the assets of having friends who are willing to drag you into a, uh, a, a Bible study that, that <laughs> maybe you're not qualified for, that all of those things are, are assets that God puts in front of us that he, you know, Hey, Hey, Michael, you know, you know, I, I did give you the a benefit of great elders and great Christian friends in a, in a great congregation. 
and, and what was my spiritual return from, from putting you in that place? Um, I, I think that is a, a so it, I think this, this concept goes beyond just the, uh, the things that you can assign a dollar value to. Right. And, and, and I'll take you a little bit further. You know, what, what about influence? What about, you know, uh, skills and ability? You know, you're, you know, if you're, you know, above average intelligence and, you know, it's done well to get a bunch of letters after your name. What are you doing with that in the kingdom? What are you, what are you doing with that to help? I mean, I, I think about Joseph, right? I mean, think about Joseph's sphere of influence. You know, here's somebody, you know, from being, you know, beloved and put up on a pedestal by mom and dad to thrown into a pit and carried off into slavery. And, uh, you know, at, at Potiphar's house, he does what he does. He, every, everything that, that he touches, God blesses, right? So he kept doing more. He could have just done very little and let God bless that. But the more influence he exerted, and then as he goes into prison, you know, we, the whole deal with Potiphar's wife, uh, and he runs from that Potiphar, instead of murdering him, you know, puts him into prison. Well, what does he do? He, again, his influence on the jailer, and his influence on those around him, and he's put in charge of things again. At any point in time, this blessing, this huge monumental blessing that God gave Joseph of influence and influence over others and being able to both pick them up and challenge them and help them along the way. I mean, we're not talking about money. I mean, we're talking about, you know, intellectual property here, right? Charisma, whatever he had. Right. What, what, I mean, he's lovable. I mean, everybody likes this guy. And, and very intelligent, right? Because all the business deals he does turns out well. And then he got interpreting the dreams. And, you know, one of the, you know, funnier, ironic, I don't know how I want to say it, passages in all of scripture is, you know, the, the folks from Pharaoh's house, the baker and um, the cupbearer come in and, you know, you're in prison. And Joe's like, so why the long face? We're in jail, man. What do you, th- why, what do you mean, why the long face? Like, why are we upset? We're all in jail. But that, he had that, I mean, that was the environment that he created in the prison is that nobody should come in sad. Like, that's just, I mean, it doesn't make sense. That's, it's a prison. Everybody's supposed to be sad, right? But that influence, so that's the other thing. So let's leave you with this tonight as we close. You know, before our next class, for those of you that are, that are tuning in from week to week uh, on these, before our next class, I want you to take inventory. I want you to take inventory, not just your balance sheet of, you know, we got X dollars of cash and X hard assets and Y dollars of debt. That's important. Get your head around that. But I want you to take spiritual inventory too. What am I really good at? Am I good at influence? Am I, am I good at helping others? You know, do I have, you know, fairly good intellect? Have I been good at school? Like, what are the things that come naturally and easy to me that's part of a blessing that is absolutely God-given? And, and some of us have developed that better, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Michael wasn't a dumb baby, right? He's, he's been above average intelligence his whole life. Um, I'm sure his mama will comment on here and say that. Um, somebody should. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, those things that we've gotten better at, I, I want you to take stock of that. And, and then... As we talk about next week, Lord willing, this parable of the talents, let's plug those things in there. Let's, let's start to build a what can I do with the information that we're taking in? Because that's the, that's the number one point of this class particularly is we want to give you actionable things to do. So come prepared next week. 
with, with a list of, with an idea of, with thoughts behind not only what is my hard asset, what, what I can put on a balance sheet, but what's my spiritual intellectual capital? What's that? And, and, and how am I using that currently? Yeah. And I, and I think as a last point for me is that, you know, why are we doing this study? Right. And, and I think the answer is, is because I, I think that you and I should feel a responsibility that given the place that God has put us, how can we use that to help um, the brethren? There, there are plenty of places where I am um, inferior. And, and I hope that a, a brother who's uh, superior in that, in that level of um, whether it is um, generosity or whether it is um, being a, a better Bible student or, or whether it's uh, being a better prayer, whatever those things are, that, that somebody who's better um, or has more experience at that, or that that's their strong suit can help me with that. If we have capacity at this, we've got responsibility. And, 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 and that kind of, that, that, that was kind of the genesis of the, of this thing, right? Is that, you know, not, not that I'm the world's greatest CPA or you're the world's greatest financial advisor, uh, no offense, but, but that if we've got some capacity at this, we've got some responsibility at this. And if everybody in the kingdom has that, um, has that mindset, I, th I think that um, we're, we're all uh, more likely to achieve kingdom goals together. Yeah. There's, there's a formula of, again, I, I hate when we do this to you all, but there, there's a formula. I always think about it, you know, a plus O equals R ability plus opportunity equals responsibility. Right. And, you know, uh, hopefully if you're still in with us, we've, demonstrated a little competency here and you've followed along at least you've listened to a couple of these um but this is what we found as our opportunity you know we've as i as we kind of said in the introduction we've been thinking about how we can do this for a while and uh haven't gotten invited anywhere to do this in a gospel meeting so uh we found these free <laughs> meetings online to blast out to the masses and here we are uh, so hopefully, you know, uh, this is good for you and you're getting part of this, but, but we feel like if there's a way we can help out along the way, then, uh, then that's what we're here to do. Um, you know, and use some of that intellectual capital. It's, you know, it's, it's helped us both career wise for sure. Uh, but where's the return in the kingdom? And, and those are some things we're going to help out. And this forum and this format gives us the opportunity to talk about some things maybe that aren't appropriate uh in a bible class um because we're going to get to some brass tacks on some stuff um but are absolutely appropriate if we're just having a conversation over the wide wonderful web right so thank you all for tuning in again like and share and comment um anything we can do to help we'll come prepared next week to talk uh more about the parable of talent so if you'll read that maybe ahead of time um get your homework together um we'll spend some time looking at uh, this day of accounting and what it means when God places things into our hands. Thank you all for being here and thank you all for tuning in.